Hi, good morning and welcome to Boom, it's on the blockchain. My name's Alistair Caithness and we're here in San Diego and we're just about to bring in our co-host Garrett. Hi Garrett, how are things? Doing good. Doing, Doing good. good. How's the weather in Austin? Um, hot as usual. Hot as usual, hot as usual. Well, we're just bringing our guest today, and today we're going to speak about blockchain and education. So let me just bring to the stream, Principal Z, we'll put you in the middle. Hi, how's it going? How's it going, gentlemen? Honor and a privilege to be here. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, well, j just to kick things off, just to give a bit of background before we go into your proposal with the book, uh, just the background about yourself then. Yeah, uh... So I grew up in multiple education systems in the Waldorf system and I international baccalaureate and I studied in France and I got to experience a few different styles of learning and see that there's really great learning. We know how to teach already. That's there's nothing. To, it's just a matter of getting that style of education to everyone. And that became my life's work. And I started as a physics and robotics coach and then became a high school principal and turned around a school. Um, it's a school for struggling kids, kids that were kicked out of other schools. And we did it using media. The kids would get, uh, you know, if, if you can't read or write, you can still host a podcast. And uh, the kids that couldn't read or write were the best podcast hosts because they listened carefully and they covered up their, you know, challenges by being really smart. Um, and so we just started to see results in ways that nobody had seen before. And now we're taking it to scale uh, with an app called hs.credit. So, yeah, that's kind of my life's journey as it relates to this stuff. Wow, okay, that's incredible. I've always had a tremendous respect for, you know, the educators that go out of their way to do this kind of stuff. Um, you know, there was recently, I mean, there was somebody I knew 10 years ago that um, she worked for Peter Thiel doing like the, you know, Thiel Foundation Fellowship. And I had no idea. Her name is Danielle Strachman and she founded uh, Innovations Academy in San Diego. Um, so it's, it's very interesting to, and I have a profound respect for people that do that because I mean I I had a lot of struggles in school and I ended up going for online school and I did online high school and college so <laughs> right and why not I taught a robotics program these kids took first place in the city and went to nationals um, against all the private and public schools but they didn't wow. get any credit for that right this is stuff that like they should have gotten a lot of credit for it's it's a it's an entrepreneurial thing. You have to build a team, and there's a lot there's a lot that goes into winning that kind of thing. It's a social construct. So yeah, I totally agree with you that um, options like online and and just having us start changing the direction of flow information from it coming from us to them to more listening to the kids and seeing how they think. Yeah, because it was it's interesting that you did the stuff with robotics because you know I I um when I was in fifth grade you know I. I won like the national science fair for a little robotics project I did with a uh, Lego Mindstorms. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I went all the so way. We were the 130 watch. pound, you know, yeah. saws and the, drills version the of that. Big stuff. I yeah. forget what they call the they first had robotics. Something. Yeah. First. Yeah. yeah. I almost did that. But by the time I got to middle school, they didn't have any of the funding. They didn't do any of that stuff at the school. So I hated school because they didn't have robotics. So that's yeah, awesome. That's where, we, that's where the ideas that ended up in the book started is a first robotics that's team. And actually one of the students who was 13 and a leader of the first robotics team is now the CEO of HS Credit. Um, he's 35 years old. He's been a mechanical engineer and became an executive in business. Um, so yeah, it all comes full circle. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So, so if you, Principal Z, so if you think about the current education system, who does it work for and who doesn't it work for? So if we go to the basis of it. Yeah, it works for nobody because it works for the past, for the industrial age, for factories, for robots. It works for a time that we wanted to use people as robots. But now we have robots to use as robots. And so we don't have to teach kids how to think from multiple options and a drop down menu and short answer response. That kind of standardized thinking and standardized testing um, is doesn't serve anybody. So... It but then the generally people are going through sort of educational systems anyway, and they are coming out the, the other end and some people are going into life and succeeding, you know, highly skilled. But what is this percentage getting smaller with the current education system or what's actually happening that you see that's changing with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what there's a yeah, there's a. Um, evolution coming to education, we all see it and we're hopefully going to play a small part or, you know, but it's happening regardless. And 
Um, it's the same thing that happened to business with inversion that happened to banking with blockchain. Um, it's this user first approach, this decentralized approach when instead of bricks and mortar, you're talking about digital stuff, um, things change. And so that work that I talked about that I did for since 2003 with audio and video, now we call it NFTs. Um, it's the same thing I was doing with them. They were making media for the school and then I was awarding them credit for it. Um, and if you think about a high school transcript, it's a ledger just like Bitcoin is a ledger. And so what's coming to the schools is, for example, high school credit, among many other things, where now we're going to we're looking to be the most trusted data source for the end of the K through 12 journey. So we're just 11th and 12th grade. We're evaluating with high stakes data. We have these credit experts who get paid 150 bucks an hour on our app to grade the work. And so it's high stakes but performance-based, not standardized, performance-based. And this is ancient teaching methods, methods on how our brain naturally learns best and releases dopamine when we challenge ourselves and invest energy and get that return and dopamine in our heads and get more excited to do more of it. It's triggering that cycle that right now we dampen in kids because for the industrial age, we wanted to leave our humanity at the door to be robots, right? And we want to sit in cubicles and you know work in factories. That's just ending. Now we're our own consultants for our own brands. And it's a much more holistic way of thinking, which comes back to a more holistic way of learning. So it's what's coming to education is the private school education that used to be spotted around the country carrying these ancient practices of intergenerational transmission of knowledge is now coming to everyone because everyone will have access to the same um, types of evaluation. And it's really the evaluation that drives education. So how does it like, so then think about how your app would to explain to people how your app actually works, you know, yeah. because you spoke about it briefly, it, you know, dumb it down for people out there just to understand how it works. And so they can put it into sort of concept for them. Yeah. So for an audience that might understand Bitcoin, if some of you do, it's the same thing that happened there where we took from the banks and the governments the power to print money and we put it in the hand of a decentralized community of miners and plus the users and plus the developers. Um, we're doing the same thing now for educational credits, whereas before they would be driven by these four year cycles for each election cycle. And it really corrupted, it corrupted. It took the focus away from the kids and onto the adults. We're now putting the definition of a credit into the hands of a community of educators who stay focused on the kids. And what comes out is um, something that I think is very valuable. We call it academic capital. It's data about which kids and which neighborhoods and which locations with which schools are learning um, to tell signal from noise, are learning to see how they think and think about how they think so that they can see how people are manipulating how they think, right? That critical thinking, that taking multiple perspectives, the meeting people and having discussions with people who don't think like us and getting to steel man their arguments, that kind of education, the old, old school education um, is what we measure with these performance-based assessments on the platform. So we're just a gold standard data source for academic data, evaluating 11th and 12th grade students only. We're just a ledger, we're just a transcript. Everything gets done off, off platform. We don't, we're not Coursera, we don't offer courses. Teachers off courses in schools, they're already doing that. We're not gonna try to replace that. And the teachers that are offering project-based courses will get to come onto our platform and have a chance to become one of these credit experts that get paid 150 bucks an hour to grade incoming work. So they're grading each other's work in committees of three um, and uh, we start having gold standard academic data, just like gold, digital gold is Bitcoin. The digital gold and educational data is high stakes, performance based. That's all it is. So, so if you think of like um, uh, high school students going into your system, how does this credits work if they want to go into further education with universities? You know, does it does it help them, or what happens next? So we have a few universities have already reached out to us and want to be early adopters. Our feeling is that the universities, we wouldn't, they're not going to be the first to adopt. The first, there's going to be a group of kids. We have 20 of them starting in September, and then they're going to grow. If that community of kids grows and the amount of content on the site grows, then we can show the content to people. And it's such high, I've been doing this for 20 years. The stuff these kids produce will make you cry. It's going to sell itself. So we're first developing the library of student work with these early student investors who are incentivized with crypto. And they're going to be part of our community to help grow this. Um, so they're not our first target audience. Our target audience right now is kids and making sure they adopt it and they love it and they get value from it. And so like those robotics kids, that they can actually get credit from that work, but they can't. They have to do some metacognitive pieces where the editing piece and get it down to 10 minutes, so that editing metacognitive work that you do as a podcaster or setting up an interview so you won't have to edit it, that kind of production thinking is the types of skills you get with project-based learning. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, that is, it's, 
it's like everything with the blockchain coming along. It just creates so many opportunities in so many different ways. You know, yep. our project focuses on tokenization. Garrett's project with uh, he's been focusing on carbon emissions and tracking carbon emissions to granular level. And this is now just going into education, you know. So it's just um, and education's changing anyway. Because I think US education compared to, you know, I'm originally from Scotland. So in Scotland, everybody gets to do their first degree for free. So you get, it's, it, you know, when I was going back to university back in the nineties, you, you get more than one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you get, yeah. You get the second one. And it's, it's obviously it, it's, you know, if you're from there, you do not have to pay the money that people are here to do a second degree or master's courses, etc. When I was doing okay. back in the nineties, you were actually getting paid to go. So if you look at places like Germany and in their education system, again, it's a free education system. You've got people from America now realizing it's cheaper to go and do an engineering degree in Germany than it is to do uh, an engineering degree in America. And they, uh, the way the Germans look at it, it's like a labor force. So, you know, they're looking at their labor force and they're investing in their labor force where you come to the American system, whereby the universities are making such huge amounts of money and, you know, the kids are coming in and they're saddled with debt coming out the other end of two, three hundred thousand dollars. Imagine <laughs> yeah. those that don't graduate. So now they've in debt without the degree. Oh, exactly. yeah. Yeah. So it's, and that's and a lot if, of them too. Many don't make it. Yeah. And then you look at someone like University of Phoenix, whereby, you know, that's the one the military have been using. So it's a sort of online degree. And this is sort of taking that online degree and sort of taking it a step forward into inner education, but actually expanding the whole thing rather than just saying, you're going to learn this thing digitally. It's how it breaks down from there as well. So, yeah. so where do you see the future of this going then, Principle Z? How is it going to be in 10 years from now? That's great. So um, if you look up something like uh, authentic learning on Wikipedia, it describes it very well. That's what the high school experience will be. It'll be these memories that you'll never forget. Each one will be captured as an NFT with a video or podcast related to it. Um, and as an administrator, this made me look good. Everybody envied my data because people would come audit me. And at other schools, they would get a you know attendance sheet to show that somebody got a course. I would show you the freaking work the kid produced and you'd cry at the end of it, right? So auditors treated me differently. Um, so in a few years, this is just gonna slowly take over just like all these other decentralized technologies. Um, we will start, our intention is to have everyone trust our data the most. And if that's happening at the end of 11th and 12th grade, then the other classes in America, I know America and I only know high school, but in our system, um, then you don't have to teach to test. You start teaching to real life experiences. Um, and then at the end of high school, the last two years, you should be out in the field as a reporter, as you know, at doing your work, producing these 20 credits that are our transcript. And before that, you should be preparing. But what happens is then in the last two years, as you're letting out of the school system, you don't need too many teachers to manage that. You need some feedback sessions. You need some editing space and tech support. But you don't need that much if they're ready for it to um, so that you can focus the resources and your teachers on the ninth and 10th grade. Um, so like just designing a high school will start being toward these project based learning where it's student centered and the students are doing homework that is questions they're asking, not the question the teacher asked, right? Um, and, it's the, and it's stepping back and focusing on, okay, what skills are the kids practicing and are they academic, but letting them go into areas that they're interested in um, to then report and teach us. And the content will also be a hugely valuable part of our platform. And so that what's coming in the next few years is the hyper-local media market, which is now dead. There's no competition. High school kids are going to in infiltrate that market quickly and start producing really amazing hyper-local media. And that media will be earning them credits, so it's going to have been revised multiple times by a teacher. Um, it's going to be academic. It might be more reliable than CNN, right, because somebody's actually checking them. Um, and so that content is something that I think we – I can't predict what that's going to turn into, what that looks like. And then a step further than that, if we take it 10 years, and this has been adopted – um, I think that academic capital and this data will be a leading indicator of which communities are going to do well in a digital age. And so it'll be kind of like with GDP numbers, we'll hear about the academic data. Um, and I think that's really for a digital age that act knowing how to tell signal from noise will determine if you're going to get manipulated by Russian bots or if you are going to be writing you know, the bots to get people to get attention your way. Are you going to be creating content or consuming content? I think we'll start being able to measure these things with academic data. And that, I think, is really exciting. And I can barely imagine what we do with that. Yeah, that is pretty amazing to think that uh, 
So let's think about the, the local media. So how is that actually going to work? Is this going to be a point whereby essentially people become their own reporters with their phones uploading content of the news that's happening in real time in the area they're yeah, living in yeah. terms of what they're seeing? Yeah, yeah, I think they'll be telling stories. Their grandparents are like intimate local stories um, around. So it'll be different subject areas. So the science could be um, in, involved there. But for science and math, if it's very technical, you can also just make, learn, geek out on it um, so that you can then teach it to the next kids coming in, to the younger kids. And like Khan Academy, but where all the work is by students, right? So I can't even imagine what the kids will start making when we give them. But they'll have to be held accountable to academic. It's very academic. So we're not talking about popularity or even what journalists do, although journalism is much closer to project-based learning than um, factory work. I think it's a close analogy. Um, but kids are going to create in ways – the kids choose how they want to be evaluated, right? So they choose which rubric – to evaluate them by on our platform. That's one of the cool parts. It's all student-centered. So they're driving and leading it from... So just the, the classroom that's driven by young people is very different than a classroom that's driven by um, you know, the adults. It's a whole different mindset. And it's hard to even imagine what this will spin into. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. So, so, how, would, um, so, so how does your app basically lead this forward then? So we are the repository. We're decentralized. We're a DAO. Um, and we are wow. figuring out how to do this to have a community of educators control and run this and with a community of students that control and run um, the incentives piece for students. Um, and we're, you know, we're using tokenomics to do that. So the early kids that participate with us, we hope they will get very wealthy um, because they invested. They were our early investors because the value on our platform is student media. So we have no value without high quality student media on the platform. And so it's the kids that are our seed investors, not we, we're not funded by anybody. We don't take money from anybody. Nobody. Right. We're, we're a bunch of people that do this on our free time and with, um, you know, and we get donations as a nonprofit. Um, so some people can get paid for their work. But we're really focused on launching an app that focuses on kids and making the economics drive incentives that keep it in the kids favor and let them. Um, we just have to make something that's good enough to try so that then the kids and the DAO can improve it over time. So we're just trying to, as quickly as we can, get something into people's hands. We're very solutions-oriented. We're all administrators. We've all been in the field at the front lines, and we want something that you can actually use and run with, and we can see, get the feedback from the kids. So I'm excited for September to December. By January, I'll have the first round of user feedback from the kids, and that's the kids' voice. I can't wait to hear what they say. Wow. Yeah, wow. Well, awesome. so, so, so how does the token economics work then? Yeah, we're figuring out some of that. Again, we're just trying to start off good enough to try to get it into running and see how it works. We right now incentivize DAO members with this WeDo coin that we created. And it's a pre-mine incentive. And the idea is that the coin launches when we have 80,000 active users. We're saying that's 1% adoption in the U.S. And we're saying if we hit 1%, we're declaring that we've found some um, user platform fit and we have something real. Um, until then, we're not sure. And so at that point, the coin launches and it'll have enough cachet at that point if you have that many active users um, and enough students will be holding it. And what happens then is us founders hold most of the tokens at that point. But right when it flips to a real coin, they only get issued to students as a reward for their work. And so over time, students and then alumni take over the platform from us founders and then it's in their hands. So, so what are you going to issue the uh, coin on? So, like yeah, I, you know, it my. I'm a Bitcoin guy myself. I think it's just a different thing than all the others, um, but it's not ready for us. So right now we're launching on Polygon and we're going to keep, we're going to write the code in a way that we can switch over to something that's taproot based um, when it's ready. But I would like to, I would like to be built on, uh, on a Bitcoin sidechain with that technology ever gets there. And I like that it moves slowly. So I'm willing to wait. I don't think 80,000 active users is happening for a few years. Um, at best case, right, even if we really move quickly, we have connections to hundreds of New York City schools. Myself and the people that founded this, there, I have uh, retired administrators who um, are, were the leaders in this performance-based education for the past 20 years. Um, so we have a lot of schools in New York, and it'll catch quickly in New York. But to get um, national, I think it'll take something else. Um, and so we have some time before we have to actually launch the coin. Right now, it's a pre-mine that we can just store on a centralized database. We're putting on Polygon just to start getting in the habit of decentralized practices and wallets. Um, but we really don't need that decentralization for the pre-mine. What we need it for is the actual token that gets launched. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good choice. I mean, it's, you know, for, for the purpose you guys are using it for, I mean, it, it's 
I don't think it'll matter so much with the technology, the underlying technology is. We just I mean, want it to last a long time. 50 years from now, yeah. I want you to be able to get your transcript, right? So we have to do something that doesn't yeah. change much that moves slowly. That's that's kind of smart, though. When you do put it that way, I can understand both sides of the of the coin. Right. So How that, can you trust Ethereum when it's changing right now? I mean, Bitcoin's the only yeah. thing that's got that slow and steady and its connection to the energy and eventually the energy industry going into mining when that happens. You know, it's I think I think things are going to happen to Bitcoin. But anyway, that's I'm not I know nothing about finance. I always get it wrong. Ethereum classic. I'm feeling something there. It's a little a little nugget uh, in this. That's where all the miners are going to be forced to go next month. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and just to give a bit of insight, do you know uh, much about Polygon itself? Hey, got it? Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Me, I've uh, I've built some stuff on there. And what I love about it as a developer is the fact that, you know, I come from Solidity Ethereum background. You just add it as a separate network to your MetaMask wallet. And then you select that network. And you can go to... Um, Remix IDE, you can write the same code. You could copy and paste code from Ethereum and deploy it on Polygon, and you get Polygon scan. It looks the same. Avalanche is similar, uh, but I think uh, a lot of people like Polygon better. I um, personally am a fan of the purple color, and <laughs> the logo is all right. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great choice. And the, the other thing is, is uh, when you look at the, I think the ecosystem is where a lot of people like it the most, because I don't think Avalanche NFTs are on um, OpenSea, but Polygon and Ethereum are both on OpenSea. So that's, you know, you, you're paying like a penny for every transaction, which is fantastic with the, right. the Matic tokens. And um, it's, uh, it, it's just one of those things where I see uh a big opportunity for developers. Um, if you if you're looking to build something that's not on just a test net, you want to be on a mainnet exactly. solution to just pay lower fees. I like. Do it. you know about Arweave? I don't. Well, no, I've I've heard of that. So I don't like know what it is. Web. So our all of our NFTs because the kids upload this ten minutes of media, and so what we yeah. do is we immediately push it as long as their teacher approves it. We push it onto Arweave, and Arweave is great because you pay once up front. And then permanently it's up there because we don't have to make changes. This is their permanent credit. We don't want to change it. So you pay for right. changes. We're not going to make any changes. So we have a permanent link um, on our weave to the NFT, um, which is great. Our, um, we really and the our weave team has been really supportive and great to work with. We have what we do is use graduate level PhD um, interns to do a lot of our development work so that they get experience in a zero to one company. Yes. and We get their experience. Um, and so, it's, yeah, so they and they also know the cutting edge. Those guys are ahead of everybody. Um, it's, it, I didn't realize that when I brought them in, but you, they, what they lack in experience, they um, understand in a fast changing marketplace, they're way ahead of all of us. Um, so it's great to have them. And they've awesome. been great working with the Arweave team. There was a great connection. They've, they've been supportive of us, which is nice. To, you know, for a small project to get support from a team is really nice. Very nice, absolutely. So it's like so for people to understand, it's like a little ten-minute video that you convert to an NFT, and then it's logged on to your essentially blockchain. So right, so there's a three-step phase to earn a credit on our platform. Um, it's high stakes, but instead of putting the high stakes like we do with testing at the end, and then you fail and you spend all this time and stress, we put the high stakes at the front end. So a student has to geek out on a topic and convince us that they invested, that they put skin in the game. So the stake is actually the kid stakes something at the beginning. And so that staking phase, they show us what they study, the articles, the bibliography, and their teacher goes over their notes with them. Then they can open a credit. So that's staking phase. And then there's a pitching phase where the teacher gives them a task and, the, and they create a plan, which is the pitch. And then there's the minting phase where they upload the file at the end. Okay. So it's, and it just gives people an understanding that there's so many other use cases with NFTs. Because exactly. really, when NFTs are coming along right now, people just look at bored apes. They look at images put up there. They think, see things in OpenSea. They see the trading of these bored ape uh, JPEGs, as they say. And we speak with like Snoop Dogg's owning a lot of them. And then they see them wanting to put on their metaverse in terms of you've got a little bit of space in your metaverse. You can put your digital NFT there. But for being a non-fungible token, suddenly there's multiple use cases out there and again, this is just touching on it with education. And really, um, 
I think uh, you know my, my oldest son's autistic, Principal Z. So he got he's got uh, an IEP, which is individual education program. So and he goes to a specialist school. So that's my first. So they create a program, and we got him out of uh, mainstream education to go to a specialist school. So he's working with occupational therapists, speech therapists, and people who can actually work with his needs. But what it does is when you start to see the individual education program IEP. It allows people to understand that you can create an education system based on your child. And then your child's just essentially getting uh, based against his or her own progress. Right. So that's special actually needs, what they call special needs kids get those IEPs, but every kid should get one of those. It's crazy. Yeah, They're the only ones exactly. that get it right. It's yeah. what every kid should get. Yeah. So it's, and that, and that's what the point I was going to make is when you start to see an operation, it moves away from this standardized testing. And then again, that, you don't hit a certain amount of credits. You're not able to read to a certain level. You're not able to write to a certain level. Therefore, you can't pass forward. And, you know, back in my day, people were held back a year, back two years. You know, this person is not able to write properly or they're disruptive in class. And quite a lot of these people had, to, you know, they had um, different types of mental health uh, challenges there as well. They were just unidentified. And then suddenly it's like, well, this person's slow. They say, use words like that. We'll hold them back for a year. We'll make them do the same thing that they've been frustrated with in the last year. Do it again. A year later, they haven't learned anything more. They've not created the system around it. And I think what you're talking about for people back home to understand is it can take this model of IEPs, individual education program, to all children and just really just blow the whole thing up, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'm I, I work a lot with IEPs and the IEP system. I have a ton of experience in that. And yeah, it's um, those specialized schools. That kind of education is coming to everybody. And the NFT piece, um, you know, I was very skeptical of NFTs. I'm a Bitcoin guy. I, I rolled my eyes. But then I would use these three letters and people would understand the work I've been doing for 20 years. So utility wise, I had to start using those three letters to people that would knew what they meant. I couldn't help it because it saved me all this conversation. And so then we start realizing what it is. And now imagine somebody makes a donation to our nonprofit. Well, what if we give them an NFT as a receipt? They can post it and say, hey, look, I'm supporting and that advertises our nonprofit because, hey, I'm, I'm supporting this cause. Here's why I believe in it. They get to show off that they're supporting our cause. Right. So, so we're mad. So suddenly once we once I let myself get into NFTs, they, they're going to be everywhere. And our transcript are these non-transferable NFTs like concert tickets to, you know, that you can't transfer. So the kid can't give his friend a credit to help him graduate. Um, so it's even simpler technology that's so powerful, even when it's not transferable, when it's not speculation, when it's not without all that. There are some great use cases for these. So I think the creativity that, you know, what I'm starting to see in the industry, we just can't imagine what's coming with this. Yeah, oh no, it's unbelievable. They say something like, I think it's like 92% of jobs that, you know, my kid's seven years old, Phoenix, my youngest one, they don't even exist yet. Right. People can't fathom that, that these jobs don't exist. You know what I mean? We're moving into this digital world and what you're talking about is going to blow people away because they understand it. But this is the future. This is what's about to happen. And hey, then, can you imagine the kids that get to do these credits and when they're in their 30s, they're going to be like, man, that stuff that they were teaching me, I get it. And it's relevant now to my success. Like it, right? Imagine that's how we talk about education. Like it was ahead of everybody. Like it was leading. And the kids talked about it as a moment they never forget. And they, you know, it's education's got to lead the way because otherwise no revolution without education. So if you're talking about a Web3 revolution or any revolution you want to talk about, technological, without education, that technological revolution will not happen because people won't understand it and won't adopt, right? And so it's, um, yeah, it, it, education is going to play a huge role in this. And I think it's really exciting to think that when it flips, it doesn't have to be linear. It's going to suddenly, spot by spot, start catching on. And it all of a sudden goes to a whole different level. Yeah, and for people out there, it's, it, it, there's going to be pushback from all the different types of education systems right now, because essentially when you start any sort of disruption to a model, and there's a lot of money involved in that model, and suddenly you're providing an educational system that A, benefits the child, benefits the person involved in teaching them, and then suddenly the cost involved is starting to get stripped out of it, it's just, it's, it's such a huge changer. It's a bit like the universities here wanting to continue to keep charging premium fees when there's guys like Elon Musk saying, if you don't go to university, if, even if you don't go to high school education, come in and see me. And, you know, that's not going to hold you back if you want a job at Tesla, you know? Right. So it's like, right. exactly. and he's just saying that. So suddenly people are thinking, well, do I really need to be $300,000 in the whole 
But then when you're 17, 18 years old, you're basically guided to this process whereby, unless you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, someone involved in business, if you're going to go into the arts, you're going to go into these other types where there's limited jobs, limited opportunities, but you're still getting saddled the same amount of debt. It's only eight, nine years later when you suddenly think, well, I want to buy a house. Well, wait a minute, you know, you have to pay back this $300,000. We have these kids captive for 13 years in our education. In 13 years, we can't get them ready to stop information viruses and the value that comes to society if our community doesn't get manipulated by that stuff, right? Like, it's hard to imagine the value there that you were talking about, right? It's um, it's unbelievable what start, you know, the, it's not just that it becomes less expensive. Right now, we're spending exponentially more every year. And even the test scores, which they rig, they can't make go up. It's something when suddenly the kids take charge and get fired up and get lit up. Young people have led all the revolutions. And maybe we can transition with a little bit more smooth rather than the, the previous revolutions, which were so bloody. I hope, you know, there's a chance, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm optimistic at this point. Yeah, anything. It's, it's always a slow changer and it's always... But education finds a way. People learn more. You know, it's just with the online education, it's just helping so many more yeah. people. You know, even with the COVID lockdown, and then they look at all the things that went wrong with education during that point compared to being in the classroom and all the different things. But to a certain extent, so many children still manage to keep learning. Yeah. And now you're suddenly coming in. Some like it more. Yeah, and, and then you can use this in terms of video education and then it suddenly it's like, well, wait a minute. And then it was the time they actually did the teaching as well, which I was amazed at because it, when it first went in, you know, my youngest son went into class, you know, the same teacher had been teaching this, the class for basically 35 years the same way. Suddenly we're doing it online on the computers. It was pretty funny. It was going straight to the computer. How can a kid sit in front of the computer for seven hours a day and be engaged? So suddenly those special need kids really suffered during the pandemic. Oh, I, yeah, it's a rare yeah, case that it worked well. Yeah. Well, it, it, that was my younger son. He, he's not special needs, but he's, um, but he, uh, but I watched both systems working. The, um, the advantage of the special needs when it was online, which was they had uh, less people in the class so they could do more engaging. But then I had to basically essentially be the assistant exactly. with my son to do this. But what you started to find is that, suddenly they are learning and they're learning in little snippets. So it's like the classes are 30 minutes and then they'll do three 30 minute classes a day. And then the rest, you've got to go on and do these online programs. And then we had Crypto Mom on before and she was involved in education as well. And one of her things she wants to do is to improve the digital avatar for kids as well. Cause she finds that they, if they can create their own avatar, like they do with, how can they be so engaged in playing Roblox with all their different things for hours and they're solving a lot of things. If you watch them play Minecraft and you look at this problem solving, you know, five, six, seven year old kids do playing a complex game and they're able to do it and they can keep engaged, but suddenly they go to the schooling and it's like 20 minutes. I'm bored of this stuff. It's the program. There's some really in. amazing um, work being done using avatars and kind of virtual reality where students are interacting as avatars that they let themselves do some metacognitive work and they can, you know, instead of acting out conflict as avatars, they can talk through what that avatar is doing, not as themselves. And that being able to direct it to the avatar that's doing these things, even though they're controlling the avatar, opens up this uh, psychological access um, to talk about and make differences and reprogram ourselves. It's really, really interesting stuff happening with um, what happens. And they, they started, they used this with executives of corporations is where this first started working. And they realize that now that now that we see how it works, we're starting to learn how to do it in other levels. Yeah, that is amazing as well. So it's just wow. to deal with racial issues, deal with trauma, to deal with, it, you know, lets you deal with a lot of things that you would do in kind of in a therapy setting. Um, but, uh, you know, using different tools, kind of like the Roblox that they like that world. Yeah, it's, they're wow. so engaged into it. And then, you know, you watch it and then it's just like, um, well, even Malachi, you know, he plays like the Lego games with me and he'll come and he's so good at them now because, you know, a lot with autism, it's verbal communication is the most difficult thing. So technology for a lot of kids who are on uh, the spectrum of special needs is allowing them to basically essentially do the same without every other kid doing. They're also on devices and playing away. Right. They're playing things. But then he comes to me and tries to get me to like help his Spider-Man game, Spider-Man Lego, open the door, open this. And I, 
And I'm thinking, you know, I can't do anything here. I have to give it back to him because I don't know what to do to complete it. And he's yeah. like six, seven years old or eight years old, and he's able to do that. And then what it's allowing to do is with the avatar thing is that, you know, now you've got people with uh, disabilities, people, you know, uh, traditionally, you know, some of the um, regulated children coming in, they're operating on a similar level now. So it's opening the door for people to operate together through technology. And that's another thing that's starting to happen that's starting to become really interesting to people as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. The... Um, I grew up in the Steiner Rudolph Waldorf schools and they considered autistic kids on the spectrum as the special kind of that they, they had access to a realm that were something, you know, they were, they had a different viewpoint on them, but they are the ultimate in geeking out on something. That's what they're good at. Right. So a platform like ours that asks you to geek out on something and then show off your expertise. Um, there's a way with certain types of projects that they can be very successful. Yeah. It, it just breaks things down. And then right. obviously because it breaks things down, it allows people to, I think it'll, it'll allow people when it comes to understanding mental health, because obviously that's yeah. I'm a mental health advocate. It's like this technology you're talking about that you're starting to bring in by providing education out with the norm. You, you, can, you can affect so many more people on a personal level that suddenly the whole population is just going to be educated at a higher standard because exactly. you're no longer pigeonholed like it. You know? Well, some communities will and some communities won't. And kind of how that works at the bigger macro level will determine some outcomes. But, um, yeah, the communities that do learn to do that do be, take on this project based approach will be so strong in a digital context um, that, you know, they'll outperform other communities. And it's um, yeah. So it's just going to be the cool thing on our app is you can actually as an alumni, I can put up a thousand bucks for a particular school and say at my old school that I went to, I'm putting up a thousand bucks, kids. Any of you earn these credits, I'll buy the tokens off you a dollar a piece, right? So you can actually set up incentives for a city, for a school, for an area to incentivize the kids. So you take the crypto out of the crypto world into the dollar world for them and do that conversion, right? Make an offer um, on in the marketplace for these uh, right now fictitious credits, right? So it allows you to start monetizing and um, you can get a tax deduction, right? For If you do it in the appropriate way. We have two ways to invest on our platform. One is tax deduction. One is you want number go up, right? Um, yeah, so it's, it's so exciting to have these tools as an educator. And what you're saying is for the kids, which is what we should always be focused on. It's really what matters is for the kids. The experience is of tools that they really benefit from, um, if they have parents and teacher support. Yeah, exactly. So this would be because the social, social interaction piece is obviously key as well. So, you know, in the classroom, the social interaction, I still think is important going forward. So it won't just be online at home. This will be happening in the school settings. Where I'm be against being on screens in general. No, this is just the um, high stakes portion of academic data. This is just at the end when you upload the final piece, the work that you do to create that. If you make a play or you host an event or you go to a protest and interview politicians or uh, a, camp- a political campaign during political season and interview people and come ready with questions that you've studied, right? If you do the work, um, the academic piece, um, we want to get you out into the real world, interacting with people that are different than you, getting to other zip codes in New York. We're focused on New York. So we really look at forcing the kids to interact with zip codes that are not their own um, as one of the indicators of success. And so that's we incentivize that with the coin is that if you get together with students in different zip codes and all of you earn these credits, you teach them how to earn these credits, um, then you get the crypto reward. Um, so, yeah, it's about getting out into the world and, and interacting and using these academic tools to then break down some of the issues you run into because the world is complicated. It's, you know, it's not just complicated, it's complex. Um, and so that is an experiential thing. You have to live through it. You have to go through it. You have to walk your journey through it. Um, and so we're giving them the opportunity to actually do that, not to, you know, sit down and shut up in rows. And when the bell rings, you move. Yeah, that's good, because I think that's one of the big fears with people when they talk about, and especially older generation, they think this new technology coming in is going to basically make people more and more insular. But to a certain extent, I I agree with you. I think that the technology is going to have the opposite effect, especially when we move to the virtual glasses and we start moving to a point whereby we don't have to be on the phone looking down at the information's popping up in a little glass. The question I ask people is, do you think a lawyer is more insular than a software engineer? 
right? It's the people that were the lawyers that are going to be the insular engineer. In, engineers are insular. They like to, you know, sit in the cardboard yeah, box yeah. and code 24-7. So there is that thing. And in Japan, there are kids that lock themselves in their rooms and play these games. There are things, you know, that there's a real fear to be acknowledged there. But it's the people that were already doing that before in the old system in whatever way they did it in the libraries or whatever they did. It's, it's not um, for the rest of us. Hopefully, if we're educated, we will use these tools to our advantage. And what we love as human beings is being with each other and experiencing real things. That's much more, right? It's much richer and it triggers that dopamine thing much more than the simplicity of insular. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with that as well. And I think that's key for people to understand is that, you know, as the world's changing and these technology comes in, we just can't continue with an educational system that it was essentially operating in our time. You know, it's yeah. just, it, it's, you just can't go back in time. You know, I was speaking about it when we were back in Scotland and in Inverness in Scotland, this is like North of Scotland. We were split until we were 11 by religion because the first period of the day, you're either Protestant or you're Catholic. And because we didn't want the, the Catholics never wanted us to read the Protestant Bible and Protestant Catholic Bible. And the first part of each day was uh, religious education, reading the Bible. Wow. You were basically split until you were 11 years old, and then you went to high school. That's like crazy wow. to think that there as well. And now that's come out of it. And you know, I always talk about this. And Miss, Mrs. Martin was her name. I, I, she taught me the Bible through fear, the old school way. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but but we were to, we were made to read the Old Testament for the first 45 minutes of the day when we were like seven years old, eight years old. No, no ex explanation about it, just verbatim doing that. And that was just what we were taught. And you weren't aided question. There was no explanation of what you were doing. You hated when it was your turn. It was just after corporal punishment. So she wasn't allowed to wrap you on the knuckles with her wooden ruler, which she used to do. She would stand behind you with this wooden meter stick and you would be sitting reading Deuteronomy. You know, you don't even know what you're talking about. Right. Trying to get the words not wrong. Got a word wrong. Psh, the ruler would go down next to you. And that was the way... And that set up how education was throughout the day, because people think, well, that was only the first period. But the rest of the day, you were doing maths, you were doing English, you were doing science. You're sitting at your desk. You've got these little wooden desks. You've got your thing, the sharpener. You're told what to do. You're writing what it is. You're either going to get good marks or not. I was good at maths. I wasn't so good at English. So suddenly, like, that was my subject areas. Work in that. You get an A, you get a B, you get a C. And then you'll do okay. And that, and that was basically until we were like 11, 12 years old. And when we got right. 11 in Scotland, we went to high school. Suddenly you're getting mixed with the Catholics, <laughs> mixed with the Catholics. But that was the way it was. It was just like, and that was going back 200 years, 300 right. years. This is basically how education comes. So, so to a certain extent, you're talking about changes in education that's just going to... And yeah, look at how you turned out. I mean, look at how you yeah, turned yeah. out. You, you're, you know, you're talking about lifelong learning. Somehow that fire didn't get put out in you. And, yeah. you know, podcasters are lifelong learners, all of them, 100%. You know, that's what oh, you are. It's, yeah. it's, it's good to go back and think about all this stuff, you know, and you just start, you start to understand that that was the education process. But back then, there was nothing. I remember when calculators came out. And you weren't allowed calculators to, to school. So we had to learn it. It's just like, there's a calculator, but you're not allowed to use it. <laughs> it's like, well, wait a minute. It's sitting there. We've got, you know, no, no, it's arithmetic. You've got to get it right. Yeah. When you I know. studied in France, I got a Doug degree. Um, and I, I did the first year of a Doug degree. And the exam that I had to pass, um, I was so proud of my, it was quantum chemistry. It was all linear algebra, really intense math stuff, you know, like 45 pages of math equations. And they, they give it back to me ungraded. Because I did it in pencil, not in fountain pen. You know? <laughs> it's just, it doesn't matter what the answers are. You know, it's just like, that. that's amazing. It was just, but then, you know, there's a technology coming along, the basic calculator you weren't allowed to use, you know? And right. it's just suddenly it's like, well, why can't we use the calculator? And now it's like, why can't we use the, the, the internet to ask questions and stuff like right. that? You know, kids should be taught how to use the internet and find out and do become a researcher and research information and exactly. question information rather than it just being one way because it works for a very small niche amount of people. Right. You know, I the think textbook even, is useful, is useless, but making a textbook is very interesting as long as you have them make it, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's not useful. But if you want to learn about that textbook and you can go in and you can see how other people interpreted it, it just takes that textbook and takes it to so many different levels. Right. Right. You know, it's just like when you think about it like that, whereby, um, but if you're just getting told this is the textbook, you've got to learn it, this is the way we've got it, you're going to be graded A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, that's it. 
And it's just like, oh, he's an F, he's useless, failure, you know, A, he's going to be a genius, you know, right, and then right, exactly. what you're eight years old. But right now, what's happened is those grades predict nothing. They predict who's going to be the best robots. And so even yeah. the wealthy families are getting impacted because they pay and they get the college and they do everything. And these kids fail and, and stay at home or whatever, can't get out. And it's because they weren't getting educated in actual human learning to develop and be able to take on life. They were getting, you know, spoon fed. Uh, plus, you talk about, you know, we're talking about the blockchain, we're talking about this disruption to financial infrastructures, you know, we're talking about Garrett uh, carbon tracking, you know, so we, we've got a project that's working on tracking a uh, carbon of oil wells down to a granular level. It's just like suddenly that information is available for people there. It's not just a case of, well, the world's creating all these CO2 emissions. That's good. That's bad. We'll just do it in a little 30 second snippet. The president says this. He, I think he needs to go back and get some education for some of his comments recently about the, the economy. I saw him in a video yesterday, zero. Uh, embarrassing, you know, embarrassing. <laughs> zero. It's yeah. like, I've only got one word to say to you, zero. You know, right. is, is that how many fans you He kept interrupting right himself saying zero. Yeah, yeah, zero, zero. <laughs> you know, it, it, the inflation is down at eight point six percent. People aren't paying fantastic. zero, but zero, yeah, zero. Yeah, yeah. It, it's there's no. I want to thank uh, Putin for not switching off Nord Stream One. I want to thank the Saudi government for putting an extra four hundred thousand barrels right. into the system to bring the oil price down to make that inflation go down. Didn't yeah. thank those guys. He just comes out and says zero. It's just like it's incredible. And then for them not to say it's a recession as well. It's like, you know, I studied economics at university. It's like, you know, two quarters of negative growth, that's a recession. Whether you like it or not, that was recession. That's always agreed. If Trump was in charge and you had two quarters of negative growth, right, exactly. it would definitely be a recession. Suddenly, and you've got people like NPR and all that talking yeah. about it. And let's have a debate about why it's not a recession, just because your guy's in charge when it is. And the thing is, it's a recession everywhere. You know, go to well, they're depending, and the, one, the funny thing is that they're, what they claim, the reason they claim is the jobs numbers, which we know to be a lagging indicator. And we know where it's about to hit you in the face. It's like, why even do that? I don't understand what they're like, what the benefit is of, of doing that. But the connection to carbon tracking, the connection to putting Bitcoin into these power systems, when the comp electric company starts using Bitcoin for those times that they're giving away energy or burning it off right now, I think we underestimate the power of what that's going to do to our energy systems. You can already see in Texas where they've uh, deregulated and they've put in these Bitcoin mining systems. Um, it really does things that are unexpected to the stability of the system. Yeah, oh, there's so much, you know, we, we speak about renewable energy, like especially off grid systems as well. You know, it's just it's crazy that we are now in a, a world whereby uh, you can put solar panels on your roof and then you create electricity and you sell that electricity to SDG&E for a fifth of the price that they sell it back to you. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, like, yeah. it's like, that's like, oh, wait a minute. So I have to sell it to those guys exactly. to give the electricity to the guy next door. But when I come to need it back, but because we're not giving, if they gave everyone a backup battery storage in exactly. your house right now, we would all go off grid. And then suddenly there'll be not. Then you can just use the grid for um, manufacturing. Yeah. That's a whole rabbit hole. We just, you know, we gave away the the patent that we developed for those batteries that last for thirty years uh, to China. Our government, we taxpayer dollars developed it, perfected it, mm. and then we gave it. It's an amazing story. And then we we gave it to China to manufacture. To you know, we gave them everything. Um, our government, the Energy Department. I was blown away by this. Oh, it's amazing when you start to think about it, but it comes back to that same thing as you start disrupting a system and then all these ideas start evolving out and then suddenly we don't want you to listen. These ideas don't work. It's like they want to push you down, Principle Z. It's just like you. Right. And that's why education is going to make the is going to uh, either going to become a totalitarian corporate, you know, hegemony that that. Already, we've had politicians and, and big business become the same thing. There's no difference between Democrats and Republicans because one claims big business, one claims big government. But it's the same thing. It's the same people. You're really talking about the same thing. Um, and in, in either and that that corporate, if we go the corporate route, it, you know, if, if Facebook, you know, the number of users they have, if they become the, the countries, the next superpowers of the world, um, that's that's centralized. That's dictatorship. Or we're going to be educated and people are going to take advantage of tools like AI for themselves to process all the data and to get what they need and program it to work for them um, and become aware of how they're being manipulated and have that critical thinking. It's so it's such an education is going to make the difference between whether we go dark or whether we have a chance here. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a tipping point, especially for information coming in, because people are living echo chambers now. And if you're on your Facebook echo chamber and they're feeding you news and they're feeding you just fake news, yeah. people don't even go they just they don't even sh- they don't even click in the the it's like it's not that it's not fox news it's fox fox station news or well, fox news is bad enough anyway but fox station news it'll be, be something with a little twist you'll go to it's not actually fox news it'll be some information the article doesn't actually tell you anything the title but people aren't even reading that they're just seeing this they're being programmed just like we program computers media programs human beings i think balaji shrinivasan said we're they're literally being programmed and if you're not educated you get programmed you get yeah. used by the bigger forces. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's 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 definitely going down that route, and it's just you know, and, and as people speak about it, I remember you know I, I spent a lot of money a few years ago on Facebook marketing, and at one point they said there was two billion people on Facebook in one day, and then I started thinking, you know, how can two billion people be in Facebook in one day? It's just like so. Then I started looking at the people that were following our page, and we did this. Uh, we do a website called Rebuilding Iraq. It's about contract information out in Iraq. We've been doing it for a number of years, like project information, government information. And then I started looking at all the followers and every single follower that was liking the page had basically like five pictures, two posts, <laughs> five pictures, two posts, likes a million things, five pictures, two posts, likes a million things. And just like it, everyone was the same. It's like, yeah. so I'm paying Facebook and they're talking about fake followers. There's Elon Musk right. saying how many fake uh, uh, bots are in Twitter, but then right. how many fake bots are in Facebook? And then I'm just suddenly paying this guy for advertising. And then the weird thing was, it was in the main feed. The minute I stopped paying for my news articles to, to come in, it just disappeared. It's yeah. like you're you're basically, the minute you start paying into Amazing. these systems, you're, you're stuck paying money. And the minute you come out of paying the money, that's it. You're coming in, and then they'll just keep giving you so many followers that are, but they deem they're not fake followers because you've paid Facebook for them rather than paying some, you know, some spy yeah. guy there as well. And the prices right. are pretty. Uh, Facebook just charges ten times as much as the fake other guys, you know. Right, and so, if a decentralized alternative comes around, we're not educated enough right now to take advantage of it. We wouldn't even use it. Right. Yeah. We're not we, we, we don't understand the implications of being fed and being programmed. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing there as well. So so that's perfect then. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show then, Principal B. It's been absolutely education for Garrett yeah. and myself, you know, to, to see this happening. And then, you know, it's been good for our viewers to learn more about it. And it'd be great to get you back on the show as the project develops going forward. It won't be me. It'll be the kids next time. But yes, be great oh, yeah. to have the kids on the show. Oh, that, that yeah. would be Check us out at hs.credit. No dot com, no nothing dot credit. hs.credit, like high school. hs.credit. Perfect. Yeah. So we'll put that in the show oh, notes okay. as well so we send it out to people. So uh, that's been great. So, well, thanks again, Principal Z, for coming on. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you. you. An awesome work. I, I really commend you for that work. and it, It's very meaningful. So, yeah, I, it's selfish. I enjoy it myself. So, but thank you. Yes. Yeah, and thanks again, Garrett, for coming on. So, and, and thanks to everyone out there. You've been watching Boom, It's on the Blockchain. My name's Alistair Caithness. Have a nice day.